have reminders set for myself to be like, hey, you need to do like a wellness check and like make sure you're caring about the small things that you need to care about. Like, you know, at a certain point, you just stop caring about if your feet are dirty or your feet hurt or if this is like, if this piece of gear is this issue or you just kind of like whatever. And at least for me, most, I think a lot of people actually fix their things. For me, I just kind of go, you know what? I'll just sleep on a flat pad for 2,000 miles. That sounds easier than fixing it. Just to make sure that I'm doing those things and trying to learn from it. Like, if you don't learn from that mistake, then... Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. And 32 days before I start the PCT... I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced thru-hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a thru-hike. Today's guest is Airborne, known off-trail as John Schwartz. He started his thru-hiking career with a yo-yo of the PCT. For 2020, he set his sights on the greatest Western Loop. Yep, you heard that correctly. He's adding a few extra miles to the Great Western Loop Trail in order to complete four out of the five trails in the same year. In this episode, we talk about severe calorie deficits, being the first through the Sierras, pushing your limits, and resilience. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Airborne. Well, you're not in the middle of it right now, but you started on uh, December 31st, right? Yeah, I, you know, I'm doing the ends of the Great Western Loop also, uh, of all the trails except for the Pacific Northwest trail so if i live right here in southern california that was a time where i had work off was right uh at the start of the new year so i figured the only real hard part would be jacinto and the rest of it should be be pretty nice and cold and i was definitely right about jacinto (laughs) it was it was pretty hard (laughs) but um and the rest of the trail was absolutely perfect i mean there wasn't anybody out there it was you know 55, 60 mile, uh, degree days and, you know, nice for the little below freezing, but that's not too bad. It just means I use less water. So. So what is, I guess I'm not completely understanding what your plan is right now for the great Western loop, or are you just sort of tying up the bottom part right now? And then you'll hit the top part a little bit later in the season or like, what is, what is your overall plan? Yeah. So, um, what well, I've, did the yo-yo in 2018 of the, of the Pacific Crest Trail. And, and I was thinking of like, what's bigger than that? And, um, you know, the Great Western Loop is bigger than that. And then, you know, I've become friends with, uh, with legend Jeff Garmeyer, the last person to do the Great Western Loop. And we got to talking and he was saying how, you know, he didn't really feel like he, he didn't complete a trail all year. Like he did the loop, but, it was just a couple hundred miles shy of every trail that it, t- it touches. And so I was like, well, if I just start earlier, I could probably be, I'm only 200 miles away from finishing the whole PCT. Might as well just do that part in the desert and get it done. The Northern sections of the PCT, it's only four miles from the border where you turn. So that's not hard. You know, that's just a little eight miles there and back. 
on the CDT, I believe it's two miles from the border. So both of the northern parts, which would be your, you know, season sensitive areas where the extra miles, you can't really do them. It's really short. So I figured, well, heck, I can do the northern part. I could always come and do the southern desert parts that aren't on the loop in more the off season, you know, your January, your February and your Decembers. So I decided, well, hell, let's go for it. Because legend, I've always been joking that I was going to try to do the greatest Western loop. <laughs> and <laughs> so, so you've done the tails now. Yes. So I just did um, up until Whitewater uh, River at mile like 220. Okay. And then um, I'll meet the PCT a little bit north of there, and then I'll just walk back and go. And I'm starting off with the whole Arizona, but I don't officially get to the Great Western Loop until like 250 miles-ish into the Arizona Trail, where it meets the Grand Enchantment Trail. Okay. So I'm doing so much extra because I'm (laughs) also... Yeah, exactly. Because I'm so close to finishing all these trails, I might as well just go do the whole thing. In Arizona, I have to, the Great Western Loop stops at the Grand Canyon and starts going uh, southwest. And I'll have to walk the 100 miles north to the end of the Arizona Trail and then walk the 100 miles back south to to then get back on the Great Western Loop area. But, I mean, that whole section is just... I was going to say, by the time you finish the Great Western Loop or the greatest western loop what <laughs> trails will you have completed or recompleted as the case may be uh the arizona trail the pacific crest trail the continental divide trail and the grand enchantment trail so four out of the five that the great western loop uses but the pacific northwest trail just time-wise is not realistic with winter coming to be able to get up and down and around to through colorado in time so that will be the the last piece that you need to pick up. Yeah, that, I'm I'm not even going for that. That's like it's not realistic, you know. I'm yeah. I'm doing something crazy, but it's also rooted in actual facts and planning, not just like throwing out a bunch of crazy stuff and then just going like, "Oh, I'm going to try to do all of this." It's like, "Okay, well, I can add these parts based on the calendar, the overall crunch period that really matters of the Sierra to northern New Mexico going up and around is basically the same whether you're doing what I'm doing or just the Great Western Loop. So there's there's no real change in the crucial period of the of the Great Western Loop. Hats off so to I you. just tagged it on because <laughs> I get extra time off work. People always ask like why I do and I'll go I, I have a year off. So then it's like what well what can I do in a year? And in twenty eighteen it was the Pacific Crest yo-yo because it just seemed easier for my first trip ever to go north, my first through hike to go north and then just retrace it and then just push as hard as I could once I got north. So it's just about proving that I can do something and then going to the next level and seeing if I can do that. And then hopefully I fail at some point and I can go back to being normal. <laughs> Was the yo-yo always in your mind and part of the reason why you started at the beginning of March last year, or did it come in the desert when you started seriously thinking about it? Well, it came from like, I was going to do two different things 
to different trails. And then it became like logistics of getting the flight from here to here. And it was going to cost so much more money. I started thinking, well, I'm, I want to leave early because, you know, I've, for the last four years in a row, I've gone through the Sierra in, in the snow. You know, during the big snow years, I go during my summer break. And then last year or in 2018, I left Kennedy Meadows, you know, April 23rd. So for me, it's, I like the snow. I like going out there when there's nobody out there. I was just a random guy before I started through hiking that was up in Kennedy Meadows going around Golden Trout Wilderness in, you know, November, December, January, and February. And people were like, what are you doing? And I was like, ah, it's beautiful out here. There's nobody out here. Yes, it's cold, but you know, it's, it's gorgeous. And the challenge is really like exciting to see if you can do it. Cause you're always, you don't know if you can do it again and then you go do it. But my whole thing for it was I want to go through the Sierra early. And I was like, well, heck, if I'm already there early, I could probably turn around and I'd be just behind Sobos. So my whole reasoning for all this stuff is I want to see if I can. Seems like it's a little out of reach. And then I try to achieve it. I know it's going to take everything I got. And also just for me, work. Work is a year off. And I would like to try to get in as much travel as possible in that time. There's no place I'd rather be than on trail. What is your work? I coach soccer for a living. I coach youth soccer. Okay. And so... so I, coach, I, coach, I coach little kids club soccer for an LA Galaxy club in Thousand Oaks. So why, what, when you say you have a year off, why? Just because seasonally things are done on a year schedule for team budgets and coaches and coaching assignments. Those things all change year after year. And so it's easy for me to step out and have somebody else take over when they naturally would around this time right now. And then for me to just jump back in a little like under a, a year from now with a whole new age group and a whole new set of kids that are just becoming of age. I, I, I work with the youngest ages. So there's always an age group that is now old enough to play competitive soccer in our, in our youngers program. So for me, it's just a matter of you can't, pop out in the middle of the season that's you know if you commit to a team you're committed for the year yeah so that's how it works for my work so if they're gonna actually let me have time off this is how it has to be so you so you stepped out of that and into through hiking essentially yeah i just save up as much as i can i live as simply as i possibly can i don't go out i don't do anything i just train and sleep and coach soccer and and then repeat just so I can make sure that I can go save as much as I possibly can to take a whole year off, which is not easy considering my shoe budget for the year. My shoe budget for the year is as much as most people's through hike, if not more. <laughs> Why? I just think I'm going to go through so many, t- the miles, I'm going to go through so many pairs of shoes this year. Oh, for the Great Western specifically. Got it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And just in general, I, I went through, you know, 10 pairs this year, 12 pairs this year, just training every day. So I'm just constantly running through shoes. It's kind of insane when you look at it. So, so shoes are your, are your thing. Oh, it's my number one expense. Yeah, for sure. If I was ever going to get sponsored by anybody, I would just, all I care about is a shoe sponsorship. Yeah. 
at this point, you should, you should get out there and, and see if somebody will sponsor you. Damn. I do. They are, I do. No one's really interested in what I'm doing. <laughs> like it's more ultra, it's more ultra running than it is some random dude walking really far for nine months, 10 months. I've heard that from a couple of other people. Yeah, that's just kind of how it is. Honestly, people aren't really looking for someone like me to be the face of their brand, which is fine. So I just work and save and and hike. try to walk far. Yeah. Yeah. Now, last year when you did the yo-yo, you were hiking with a, a tramley for a while. Yeah. And at what point did you have to leave them behind in order to accomplish the yo-yo goal? Um, started whittling down in the middle of uh, Oregon um, after 4th of July. And then there was, we got down to one person when I left Cascade Lock. And then as soon as we got to Trout Lake, he bought me a beer and he never buys anybody a beer. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, this is it. This is it. He's doing something. He was trying to make up for something. He walked over and gave me a beer and said, Hey, um, I'm going to stay here and wait for everybody else. And I was like, all right. And then, then it was just game time from there. And then I just, you know, pushed as hard as I could until the end, until the end of going the Sobo. So, so it was, it was different because I had, I mean, I didn't camp alone until until then, yeah. Mm-hmm. Until until then, I slept with somebody every every single night for the most part. I can't remember, and I didn't. How was that? I'm totally used to it. I used to just go out into Kenny Meadows in the winter and just go sit out there for a couple of days just to get used to being alone. So it's not necessarily fun, but when you're at least occupied with goals, it's it's not as hard. But it sucks to just not have someone to laugh with, like. There were periods when I was adjusting to being alone where I would go, huh, I haven't laughed in like three or four days. That's weird. Just because weird. there wasn't anybody to like, share the laugh with? or Yeah, or like even if something was like funny in a podcast I was listening to, I would just go, oh, that, that, that's funny. But I wouldn't like outwardly <laughs> laugh because there was like, there's nobody around. It's like, huh, uh, good point. And I'd be like, oh, you're just way into your own head. But... Then you adjust. Then you adjust. How far into your head did you get? Uh, as far as you could possibly get. I mean, um, everything you you know you analyze your whole life. Yeah, and just you realize mistakes you made in the past and things you could do better, or why you should really in touch with your emotions too. When you're by yourself for that long and you're that exhausted, you kind of. Uh, become more content with yourself. Oh, you're either going to freak out or you become more content with yourself. So like now I used to be more of like a life of the party kind of person. And now when my friends are like hanging out, having some beers, watching a game or something, I'm like the guy in the corner, like cleaning up some cups. Just more like, I'm not really interested in this anymore. Like I'm they're like, Oh, you're not having beers. And like, I'll have one or two, but like I'm, I have training tomorrow. Like I'm not, I don't care <laughs> about, anything besides this or training for this or, you know, the thing that makes me happy is is this. How has that been with the, 
what what you've now fallen in love with is very consuming. So <laughs> how has that been in terms of the way that it's it's changed what you're doing, your your life course, I guess? Um yeah, I mean it's definitely affected my friendships a lot because you know, I don't go out and do certain things. I don't go out to bars anymore or like I was never big on that necessarily the last couple of years before the yo-yo anyways, but you know, I would go down just to LA and I would spend the night with some friends and we would go out and that would be like 150 bucks by the time I got back. And now I look at it as like, Oh, that's like two resupplies. Like there's no way I'm going to go out and get hung over for, and spend two resupplies. So I'll just sit at home and I'll go training with my dog and that'll be my Friday night. So the friends that appreciate that and understand that you're doing something, um, are right behind me and I've gotten even closer with them. And then some people realize like, Oh, if you're not around, then you're not really that great of friends as you thought you were. You were just more drinking buddies as you were legitimate friends. So yeah. I'm just, I've just pared down my life. To be honest, I've pared down all my belongings. I've pared down my friends. <laughs> uh, simplified. Yeah. I worry just, you realize, I mean, on the yo-yo, there were people that I would want to talk to after a while. And you're really lonely. Like, Hey, I don't ever talk to that. I don't call that person. You know, you know most people don't call anybody anymore. So I would call and talk to people that maybe I hadn't even communicated with in the last five years, but we were always, you know, good friends. You know, life may have taken us in different directions, but you, we always knew that we were, we were actually friends. And so I just started focusing on those relationships and those things and cultivating the new relationships I have, you know, my trail relationships are probably some of my closest now just because they understand what I'm doing and I can, I don't have to, I'm not like a zoo animal to them because <laughs> it, it seems like, you know, like, especially at work and places like, I, you know, I'm just, a, I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy that walks far. Like, I just like doing this. Um, you know, my motives weren't necessarily more than just, I have a year and it's easier to just turn around than it is to, to do anything else. So definitely affected my life in every way imaginable because I live at home for this whole year. And as a 33 year old person, that's kind of weird. If I wasn't doing this, then I would be looking at myself in the mirror real hard. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, because, you know, my parents are, are supportive of this too. So they were like, Hey, why don't you just stay here for the year? And then your dog is going to have to move out and then move back in. And I was like, if you guys don't mind, you know, I can, I can, I can live with that because everything is just focused on the next thing. Now this whole 2019 was just like a placeholder. I was just sitting there. I was, it was just, this is work for this and I will train in the meantime, but on trails where I really want to be. So I get like that one track mind where if I focus on something, I'm really interested. Everything else is gone and, I am 100% committed <laughs> to whatever it is. You're the the person who can, you're the perfect person to uh, appreciate slash embrace the 10,000 hour mastery uh, rule. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, is like I, I train people for a living. So 
on trail, it helps a lot to be able to remember that I'm the player also. And then uh, having to like look at my responses and my emotions and my reactions from like a different viewpoint as like the coach, someone who's analyzing it and being like, okay, like you were kind of a dick to that person today. Like, but you're tired. Maybe you should eat more in the morning or, you know, like, and just analyzing why I was sad that day or why I was just, okay, lack of sleep. That's why you've been so bummed all day. Let's just go to bed, wake up and, and just kind of constantly coaching myself. You're basically doing a a beautiful scientific study of one. Yeah. It's weird. Cause then I started feeling like I was referring to myself as like the player, like in in my own (laughs) head. And I was like, I'm going crazy. I am going crazy. I'm one of those people that says we, when it's just me, like, (laughs) Uh, myself and I, yeah, exactly. There's so many times out there at that many hours by yourself. And I think the hardest part was also, I left my friends and my friends were back there still having a good time. And then I'm, I was up there just struggling. And then as soon as they got off trail, when they had already finished and I was still going, then it became easier for me, I think mentally. Cause then I wasn't missing out on the daily jokes, the laughter. I mean, we had a funny, funny crew. And, uh, so I wasn't missing out on that anymore. They were all back home calling me saying that they didn't, they were having trouble at home. I was like, okay, good. I'm still on trail. I haven't had to, had to deal with that yet. <laughs> and that definitely helped me out. It comes in waves. Something that long, it comes in waves. You just got to write out the bad times. How did you write out the bad times? suffer <laughs> stay resilient seriously like i've i, I say like one of the biggest takeaways from this whole thing is like my capacity for suffering is well beyond what i ever thought it was i already knew it was high but like whoa it's a lot higher than i thought which is kind of scary but also kind of like makes you really curious of how far you more you could actually push it yeah and just like when I don't know, I got this idea in my head and kind of rings true. But like, if I'm really suffering for like a week and no one's around to suffer with me, then does it really matter? Because no one else really, no one else is having to do it. Like, I can get to town, have a conversation. They have no idea. I just had the worst week of my life, but I can have a fun conversation with them. And eh, no one knows. It just went out the window. Never happened. It's a weird phenomenon at least for, for, for my brain of just like, yeah, but nobody else is having to suffer. So why do you care? Like, it doesn't matter. It's just me. That sounds like know. an age old philosophical debate. Yeah, I know. I know. That's why I started thinking like, Oh, I'm really losing it out here. Like, <laughs> I'm having like, I'm having like meme debates in my head of like, just feel like my brain's just throwing out like throw quotes and like random. Yeah, exactly. Random, random cheesy an- anecdotes. Yeah, exactly. So it gets hard, but. Speaking of suffering, you were having a lot of challenges with calories and weight loss and <laughs> yeah. all of that good fun stuff. It sounded like for most of the trail, is that. It stemmed from one situation. Yeah, it stemmed from one situation where, so like, I had some things off trail that happened where, like, I had to pay a bunch of money and then my car got towed 
and I couldn't get it out because it was in my name and I'm in, you know, Oregon. Mm-hmm. So by the time I could get it released to my dad and my dad could go get it at an impound. I mean, total for these two things was over $3,000 and that just got stripped right out of my budget and I was still going North and I had already spent way too much going North with friends and going to here and, you know, spending way too much. And so all of a sudden I was like, Oh my gosh. So I started just like being as cheap as possible, not eating in towns, but I would just go in and I would just like carry a three pound jar of peanut butter. And I would just like, I was just trying to save money and hiker box things. And I found out I can't, I can't do that. I need reliable amounts of high caloric foods constantly. Cause then I got down to like 145 pounds and I'm six two. So that's you were a skeleton. super skinny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was gone. Like people were worried. People, I woke up on this, he can bust and this lady tapped me on the shoulder and gave me a cinnamon roll and was just like, looks like you need this. And I was like, I, I can't even argue with you lady. I've seen myself. And then I never really was able to gain it fully back. So I just, I recovered a little bit, but then I maintained from there. Cause I don't, I mean, to be honest, I'm pretty like, I have like less than 5% body fat at all times. Like my body just doesn't retain any of it. I just get really hot and I burn off all the energy. So what I lost is muscle and I, you can't just re you can't just regain muscle when you're at a calorie deficit pretty much every day. That's not how like, gaining muscle works so um so i was just stuck in that rut for pretty much the whole trail until about to hatch be on the way south and i had to go home for a wedding for five days and by the time i got back i was feeling really strong i gained back about eight pounds which obviously wasn't muscle but it let my body have a little bit of leeway and it was feeling healthier when you get down to that low percentage of body fat, it's like you're, I found, I found like you're starving. Like yeah. I've, I found myself like hoarding food and like, that's a big indicator of somebody in starvation mode where you start hoarding food that you should be just eating even more of. And I found myself like carrying like six ramen for like 300 miles. I'm like, why <laughs> all of a sudden I like, it, it like hit me one day and I was like, Oh my gosh, I am, I'm starving. I'm like hoarding food that I don't even want just because it's there and it could be potential calories. Like I was like the manic person, like keeping a diary of how many calories I have on my back at all times. And I'm just hoping to avoid that this time by being more aware of, of how that happened and why that happened. And you said it happened up in Oregon? That happened in Washington. That happened um, like White Pass. Okay. Like White Pass North. Yeah. From there, from just, there north, it was it was really rough. Because it just it felt like like what going back through your Instagram and stuff, it felt like you were talking about and you were concerned about calories from yeah. I mean, I'm early a- on, so like seven thousand calories, and where were you going to get that? And yeah, I'm like I'm a. Like I said, like I'm a skinny guy. My my metabolism is through the roof, even just sitting at home. So that's always my biggest concern. It's not really anything else. It's just like the only thing that's going to stop me is if I'm so weak that I can't keep hiking. 
everything else, I mean, obviously I can't really worry about major injury because that just happens. It's not something that you can necessarily plan to avoid through, you know, staying vigilant about, you know, my preparations. Right. That's just going to, if you're going to break your leg, it's, it has nothing to do with your resupply packages. <laughs> no, not so, generally. Yeah. So it's like, that was the only thing that was really something that was of concern to me is I've gotten like, you know, I lost in 2017. I went just from Horseshoe Meadow up to Twalney and, you know, I lost 15 pounds in like a little over a week, in like 10 days. And that was like, whoa, that's not good. I need to re reevaluate my, my whole food strategy and how much, how much I eat. So knowing all of that, what do you, what are your plans for the great Western loop? How are you going to you keep the calories going? I think it's just to start off a little bit slower. The first, you know, first seven days, first week, because you don't really, you're not really, you don't get hungry that first week, or at least I don't get as hungry as I should be that first week. So if I'm pushing hard that first week, I'll lose some weight. You know, I tested it out. I pushed pretty hard on the PCT, you know, last this or last month in January, where you know I was averaging pretty good, especially for the some of the conditions, and I didn't lose any weight. So I just think making sure I eat enough sandwiches, making sure I eat enough bars during the day, and I'm a lot more in tune with my body. So I'm not like I'll just I'll just make it the next four miles and then I'll eat. I go, no, I'm hungry. Like I should be eating now. If I'm hungry. I should be eating before I'm hungry. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a little bit less like, Oh, I'll just, I got 45 minutes and then I'll get there and I'll eat. And it's like, no, I'm probably going to burn whatever I eat right now in the next 45 minutes. I need to eat that now. And making sure that you don't burn out because I found myself burning out and then eating and resting and then, and then going and, started realizing that I need to, if I'm, you know, you shouldn't be thirsty because you, if you're thirsty, you're already slightly dehydrated. So I was thinking the same thing for food. If if I start to get hungry and I feel like my stomach's hungry, I probably already needed the calories in terms of to keep my fire going and without having to dip into like, I started thinking of things as like physical energy and then mental energy. When your physical starts to get tired, you, you use a lot more mental energy to maintain. And so I was trying to figure out how I could limit using my mental energy as much as possible to not let it get to that point. I don't know. I started getting all these theories in my head about like, I was thinking of it as like aerobic and as like aerobic and anaerobic workout. Like, I don't want to get to that point. I want to like just ride the aerobic line. And then like, I got so many, it was so weird. You just start coming up with all these philosophies or ideas and you have so much like, recent data to like play on in your head from just doing it every day for so long that you start to just fine tune and and plus i was having to try to get every every bit of energy i could out of my body every single day and i was really nervous of if i was going to be able to make it like i'm confident in myself i know i'll do it i'll do anything to get it done i'll get through it but that um, that confidence comes from knowing that I'm going to 
give it every single bit I have, which is always exhausting to give, to give 100% of yourself to anything is quite tiring. Yeah. Because 100% is actually, you know, most people don't give any, don't think they can give anywhere near 100. The 100 is well beyond what you think you could do. Does your soccer background kind of help you with that? I think so, just because I've been pushing myself to my limits for my whole, you know, my whole childhood. You know, I played really highly competitive soccer. So it was like the best kids in the country where we were all training together. So there was no, always there was somebody that was better than you. You always had to step it up every day, bring it every day or else you would fall behind. So like you weren't, it'd be like me training with, with legend every day. And like, I'm not going to get there, but striving and competing against that will teach you that you can overcome pretty much anything as long as you dedicate yourself and you stay strong and stay focused and don't give up. Don't let the, I'm falling behind. Like you'll make it up. You'll find some time, create a new tactic, execute, go on from there. I, I hear a lot of, and I guess I practice it myself as well, but I hear a lot of sort of in that same vein that it's, it's not about some secret gift or some secret talent. It's about practicing and executing and, you know, doing the small things each day that build to the big things. And probably through hacking is a similar type of of thing. I think so as well. And just resilience, you're going to get knocked down. You're going to have bad days. You're going to feel weak. And what is your response to that? That that will define your trip. I had some issues with injuries on the way south where, you know, I was breaking down every day at the end of the day. Like I was like, just I'd get a little teary eye, just some frustration and the pain. Like I had a pinched nerve in my shoulder or something in my shoulder blade where it's like somebody was stabbing me. I had to use my shirt as a, a swing for you know, for two weeks and I would get to the point where I'd be like, <laughs> and I'd like want to just be like, like, I can't do it. I, this is too hard. And then some other devil on my shoulder. I think I only have two devils on my shoulders, <laughs> but <laughs> one would just be like, you know, don't let, don't let this win. Or like, are you going to let this beat you? Really? A shoulder injury. You're not even like, you didn't hurt your foot. Just fight through it. You're going to quit because of this. You have all of this put into it. You're going to let everybody down. Like, no, just fight through it. Temporary pain is not worth lifelong sense of failure. Like temporary comfort is not worth a lifelong, a a life's worth of regret. So I always was thinking about it. I was like, I have so much longer in my life. I will forego comfort to know that I gave it my all. I just think it would be the, I'm fear being old and wishing I had given, I had tried to find my true potential. Or you never found your true potential. Yeah. Like I don't, I think I screwed off a little bit too much in my teens with soccer. Like I had some really, really high potential, but I don't think I was focused enough and I, I let it slip a little bit too much enough to where the margins are so small out there that you start to, you know, lose a little bit of edge because of your training or focus, then your time has passed. 
and I just don't want that to happen with this. So I've just been like, I've cut out all distractions and I'm giving this my best shot. Cause it also makes me the happiest. I'm not competing against anybody. I'm just competing against myself. I'm competing against what I should be able to do. What I, what I theoretically could do is what I want to see if I can actually get out and do it because there's strength that comes from achieving those crazy goals that even half of your brain might be saying, this is a little bit too much, buddy, (laughs) (laughs) but you just give it hell and go for it. Do you have any idea what happened with your shoulder or why it? I know why I have. So I was, I had gotten so skinny at that point. Like my upper body was gone and, uh, I was just stepping up and around a log, like a log had just fallen across the trail and you know, the trunk was like just up trail. So I was just walking up to get around it and I slipped as I stepped around it. Nothing bad didn't fall or anything. I just put my, my, my pole down and try to like brace a lot of my weight on the, on that pole. And all of a sudden just, Oh, it just felt like something was like stabbing me in my shoulder blade. And then you pulled something I was like, Oh, or something. yeah. I was like, I hope I didn't turn my rotator cuff. I hope it's just a nerve thing. Five or six days into that hurting my pinky and ring finger on my left hand went completely numb. And and so I was like, oh, it's just a nerve thing. That's fine. You know, I can probably repair some nerve damage by the end of the trip, which is in physical therapy and some time. You know, it's not permanent damage or even if it is, you know, screw it. <laughs> it's <laughs> but, not going to be permanent. Who cares? Yeah. I was like, I have a whole year to like rehab. So like, let's just focus and get through this. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, uh, there's the saying sometimes where like you don't get into the game until you get that first tackle or like somebody mm-hmm. hits you and something's hurting and all of a sudden now you're in the game. Now you're in the zone. And so I was just kind of treating it like that of like, now this is, this is crunch time. Like this, this is make or break. It's, it's easy to hike on good days. It's harder to stay focused and do what you need to do when it's really hard. And so if you can complete those hard days, the easy ones just come. So that was kind of my, my thinking behind those really hard sections where it was like, pass this test. You pass this test, you're good. And then there's brighter days ahead with burgers and milkshakes. <laughs> so, the, the reward, burgers and milkshake. Yeah. And, you know, you start to, you learn, like, I was really lonely. That really affected my mood at first. But then now I like being alone. Mm-hmm. it's just scary that that's how it's worked out but now i don't mind now i kind of just like making my own decisions every single day did you find that exhausting at first after having been with the group for so long no because i was me and one of the guys were always the ones making the decisions for the big group anyways okay so we were always having to do it i found it really relieving to not have to go convince a bunch of people that don't want to do that many miles <laughs> yeah to, to actually to like, I know I'm, I'm thinking like three days ahead, we need to get here so we can get here so we can get here so we can get into town at a decent time. And they're like, oh, well, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going here and he is going here and we know you're all going to follow us. So let's go. <laughs> yeah. See, I could see that being very exhausting to try to get the group together to, to cons- yeah. or a group consensus. Yeah. It's, it's fun when you're trying to convince people to stay and have an extra beer and, and take a Nero. It's really exhausting to try to get convince people to do more. 
So no, I found it really relieving, but again, everything comes with adjustments. So I told myself again, you know, I analyzed it and I was like, you know, studies show it takes people at least two weeks to develop new habits and to get used to things. So give myself at least three weeks and then we'll reassess and things should change and things should even out and you should get used to this. And sure enough, it did. And then I felt like I was real smart for thinking that. <laughs> Pat yourself <laughs> on the back. Yeah, on the shoulder. Yeah, on the shoulder. <laughs> but then you also got the opportunity when you were heading southbound for all of your family that was still on the trail, you got the opportunity to kind of see them at least for a moment and say hi and, and reconnect a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We all ran, ran into each other and people had spread out. One of the, the guy I met first day, he had to go home or he went to Switzerland for like a family trip. So he was behind all of them. So I saw him like two weeks later. So there was a full, like a good two weeks of where I was running into people that I knew or that I knew of. The bummer part was I ran into my whole, family um there was a fire in glacier peak and so just the heat was closed and you had to go to holden village and so where the way we met was like on this unmaintained trail that was super steep and there was nowhere to pull over so we just talked for like five minutes and then we kept going because nobody could camp there and nobody was willing to go the other direction which i wouldn't want to because there's nowhere in within, you know, at least two hours each, each direction where you could sleep. So we just all said hello and had a good time, had a, had a good laugh. And, uh, and then went on the way. I let everybody know that I beat them to, to the border. <laughs> and then, because uh, they were all saying like, oh, you're, you're doing this yo-yo, but that guy's ahead of you. That, that He's going to beat you. And then I was like, just wait, guys. Well, there's thousands of miles left. There's thousands of miles and I mean, it wasn't about that. It was like everybody else ended up slowing down because they're not doing what I was doing. So they were like, hey, we're just going to enjoy this last yeah. part. And Washington in July is amazing. Yeah, you guys hit it in perfect season. And actually, it was funny. I was looking at your pictures. The pictures going north are good, but the pictures going south. I don't know if it's the color. It's the light. It's the I don't know what it is, but like they just pop. I started actually like on the way north. I I was kind of like I was in it. I was over social media. I was over anything besides doing what I was doing, living in the moment, absorbing things for myself. And so my pictures weren't that great. And then when you're by yourself, you're just alone. And you you know instead of having that conversation at that break, I was I was looking around like I want to put a good picture around here. And so I started actually thinking about photography more as opposed to just stopping at my break and, you know, chatting with whoever's in my group and having a good time. They haven't having some laughs. And I spent that time actually like looking at the landscape more or taking breaks in certain areas, wherever I wanted. Well, I guess it was noticeable. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> when, when you guys <laughs> headed out in, in March, were you, so I believe there was at some point, where you sort of became the front of the pack, the first people through the Sierras or something like that, or like yeah, were you guys the yeah. front, so we the were, tip of the spear. Yeah. So we were 
that was kind of my goal, not because I, I wanted to be the first, but it was just, I wanted to head in with no no tracks and kind of have that like experience of you're wandering through the high Sierra with no tracks and no trail and it just feel like a real wilderness adventure. So yeah, I mean, we were, we kept running into people and kept passing people and, you know, we weren't going that fast. We were doing lots of zeros. I took, I think 18 zeros in California. I think like, (laughs) I think like 14 of those, 15 of those were in the desert. So like I took a lot of days off because I'm from here. So I was was able to just go home two different times with my whole trail crew and get them gear and stuff. And then as we got closer to Kennedy Meadows, people started bailing. Groups started getting off. Groups started getting off. And then by the time we got there, there was one guy that was going ahead, but he does the same thing every year where he goes in and then he bails and goes to Bishop and then doesn't get back on. And he's always like, I'm the first. I'm like, cool. You have to be the first person through, not the first person to enter. And, <laughs> and, and he wants to do year. it by yourself. He's done the last couple of years in a row. He's okay. running away from something. Yeah. But to me, going in alone at that, that time is, is not very smart. Like I'm really ambitious and crazy, but I don't do anything that's dumb. For me, going in that early with storms by yourself without necessarily the proper gear is pretty silly. So we took our time, made sure everybody had the right gear. You know, we did some self-arrest practice and stuff with the people that hadn't done that before as once we got to some actual snow stuff. And, you know, it was about everybody we entered with is everyone that we were going to exit with. And that was my biggest rule. I made sure to everyone, if you're going to join our group, then you need to put it in because put in the work because we're not going to leave you behind. Right. I don't care if you tell us to, like if we enter with you and I'm the one that knows what's going on and this other guy knows what's going on. And most of the people, they're just winging it and listening to our plan. Then we're not going to leave you. <laughs> like it became more like a military type idea. If you don't leave anyone behind because the conditions were so, were so rare for the experience of those people. So I wanted to go through first and we ended up doing that. It was an amazing experience to be the first people through and have no tracks and nothing. Just, just wandering through the wilderness on your own and laughing about it, <laughs> falling all over the place constantly and boot skiing like no other. We became like professional boot skiers. If only there was an Olympic sport. Yeah, I know. I mean, I really need to come up with that. And so like we had, yeah, we had snow all the way past Truckee. We had snow and to to like 10 miles before Sierra City. Well, you, you were there pretty early. Yeah. And that's the plan again this year is to, uh, to hit Kennedy Meadows and leave there, you know, the last couple of days of April or May 1st. I got to stay ahead of, of Jeff's timetable because I'm not planning on being able to keep his timetable. Oh, in terms of just how fast he did it or how, how many days or whatever he did it in? Yeah, just when when he entered certain points. Like, right. I want to have a little more fun. 
But it is nice to, since you know him and you guys talk, it's nice to be able to compare your schedule against his schedule. And obviously he was successful. So as long as you're keeping kind of in the same time frames, yeah. you have a, a good chance of being successful. And that's always helpful to know. Yeah, he's actually he's actually dropping me off at the Arizona Trail Terminus um, on Sunday. Perfect. So, yeah, we'll be we'll be chatting and I'm sure he'll be giving me all kinds of shtick about <laughs> about what's come and how much better he did it and how fast he did it and <laughs> Yeah, they'll be the yeah, shtick and they'll be the, the shit. Guy. He'll give you both. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You met him or you you talked to him, so you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did. You hiked most of the trail and I think you actually hiked quite a bit of the Sierra as well in shorts and not just any shorts yeah boxers yeah just boxers <laughs> yeah the whole trail the whole trail I don't I don't own shorts or not on trail I don't have shorts with me I just wear my boxers most people didn't know oh really like a lot of people didn't know because my sh- boxers are longer than most guys short shorts so it wasn't like I was, you know, wearing a thong or like, yeah. or like briefs. So if there's some guys like showing skin of way up high and I had my, my boxers down mid thigh, it was like, oh, well, that guy's, you know, I'm not hanging out anywhere. I got my, my boxer brace on. I'm good. I think also the, the, the fanny pack like covers up the waistband. Mm-hmm. So you can't see, like if you were to see the waistband, you would say, oh, those butts clearly underwear and boxers because it's a different color and it sticks out. It's not the same styling, but with the fanny pack on, people just look at me and I'm wearing like calf sleeves and, and then they see a fanny pack in my hair and they're just like, yeah, whatever that looks about right. So why did you choose as your shorts boxers? Well, I was wearing the boxers and then I was wearing some like really short running shorts and my boxers were like, two inches, three inches longer than the running shorts. And I was like, this is stupid. Why am I even carrying these? <laughs> it's weight. Like, it was just, Get rid of it. It was just, yeah, it was just part of my pair down process. I was like, this isn't even like, I wouldn't even be able to wear these if I wasn't wearing underwear. So why am I even bringing these? I'll just <laughs> wear my wind pants if I'm doing laundry. So I just went for it and that's how it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. When when people find it, I was thinking like I I got home from the trip and I was going to go to the grocery store and I was just like wearing my hiking clothes for like a week afterwards because I was just like weird and didn't want to like give it up and uh, and I had to remind myself like I can't just go in to to like Vaughn's or Ralph's grocery store like in my boxers. Your mom and, would be mortified. Yeah, it's just like people would look at me different. Like I'm in Camarillo, which is you know it's just a quiet suburb, and people would be like, "What are you doing?" Like on trail, you know, you walk in wearing your underwear and like Mojave or like places mm-hmm. like that. It's like, all right, that's a little bit deserty. You know, that's probably the best weird looking person around in terms of like I'm not on meth or anything. So right, they they're not they're not really concerned with that. Yeah. I'm not screaming and like chasing people down. So I'm, I'm fine. (laughs) But yeah, I just wear my underwear. (laughs) I'm surprised that you didn't get some sort of trail name out of that and that your trail name ended up being airborne. I had the trail name before 
I started the yo-yo. I got it in 2017 on the John Muir. Okay. So where did the name come from? Yeah. Like when you're coming down Whitney on like the guitar lakeside, uh-huh. there's that gigantic snow field at the end of one of the switchbacks up near the top. And it goes pretty much close down to like that little ledge above guitar lake before you kind of do the, I don't know if that even makes sense to you, but, um, I'm sure it will shortly, but yeah. Yeah. So I was got in, I had just come on sea level, like less than 48 hours before that. So my mind was, I was, the elevation was killing me and I was trying to keep up with this, these two guys ahead of me and I was falling behind and, and I was like, Oh, look at that good, good, uh, Glissade route, I'll just head down there. And where I started was in the sun, and it was soft enough where I could dig my ice axe in, and I could just glissade down. Not too far ahead, it was, it was all in, in the shade. And as soon as I hit that, it was just <laughs> like, it was like a bobsled run. It was just sheer ice. And my ice axe just, boop, just pulled right out of my hand. And I basically just slid down the side of the mountain all the way just before these rocks um, uncontrollably just, and where people had glissaded the day before, you know, how you slough up snow between your legs. Mm-hmm. Well, that had just frozen into a solid jump. So every time I would hit one of those, I would launch into the air and then I would slam back onto the ice and I would try to get back in the, the like tunnel. Cause I was just getting my tailbone racked by the, the sun cuffs mm-hmm. and so i was just launching boom and then just uncontrollably boom and like i tore all the skin off the side of my hand like i have still have some pretty bad scars and a little bit of nerve tingling in the side of my hand and my knuckles were just just white with all the skin ripped off of them and i hit the trail and there were some rocks below and i was just passing the like snow trail so the those two guys were down there watching this happen watching me just careen towards them uncontrollably launching into the air and slamming back down and they were just like this is not good like if he keeps going he's going to hit those jagged boulders and we're going to have to get his body out of here once he bleeds out and I teach kids to do little shoulder rolls. And so when I hit the ice, I knew I had to get on, on all fours and just gig in my hands and my feet and just try to stop any way I could. And so I did a shoulder roll and like land on all fours and just dug my hands in. And, uh, I eventually stopped not too far from the rocks. And I stood up and just went, Holy crap. My hands hurt so bad. And they were just looking at me like, your hand who cares who cares You're if your alive. hands hurt like yeah and i was like ah oh. and then i went into shock shortly after of just of what had just happened you know i was kind of just in the zone of like i'm in it i can't freak out i gotta just ride this out so it's like they were looking at me like you look like you were smiling i was like i was not smiling i was scared shitless i was just i was already in it there's nothing you can do once you're in it except for trying to get out of it and try to minimize the effect so I got the name Airborne because for two reasons. One, I got Airborne. Like I was launching into the air multiple times. And um, second one was I landed like, I guess how they teach you in the military when you're landing with like a heavy pack of, I just knew from the heights that I was falling from after each jump, 
if I hit one thing, I was going to break whatever that was. Like I was falling hard on just ice. So I was just trying to break the fall. So I was like hitting my heels, my tailbone, my shoulders and my arms all at the same time, just trying to spread it out and trying to spread it out. Like looking back on it, that was a fantastic thing to try. I was, I, I just knew I couldn't hit any, any one thing hard and it it's worked like actually. a charm. I do find so proud of myself for that one with zero preparation or forethought or anything. <laughs> I started launching in the air and going, this is not good. If I hit, I am screwed. <laughs> and, uh, so it worked. And one of the guys was like, that's your name, airborne. And everyone's like, airborne, airborne. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, that's it. I'm going to go in my tent and sleep now because <laughs> I was just scared. I was just scared shitless and then my hand hurts. <laughs> and that was, that was day two of my whole trip of the John Muir. So I had, I had like oh, 10 more days or so of hiking. And back then I didn't, I didn't use poles. So I was going through in 2017 in the snow with no poles. And one of my hands was messed up. I couldn't put it down my dominant hand. So every time I would slip in a sun cup or something, I'd put that hand down and go, Aah! and like scream. <laughs> and I was like, this is my vacation. This is what I'm doing. Welcome to your vacation. And that was when I decided, you know, I want to do this full thing. Like if I can jump in and do the hardest part in a hard year and be faster than the majority of other through hikers, then I could go. I always thought through hikers were like, wilderness guide people that have been training their whole life for it and then i met people that like their first trip and i was like well if they can do it i can do it and the rest as they say is history yeah definitely now speaking of snow and and your <laughs> exciting adventures in snow um you also had some issues with hypothermia on this sobo yeah Definitely. I mean, like bad yeah. hypothermia. Lucky, lucky that you yeah. were aware. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. I mean, I would say it's probably the closest I have ever been, ever, ever wanted to be to, to dine. Um, it was really close. Like, I, again, it was, it was small little things that added up to the situation that I got put in. Um, my wool gloves got washed. They end up being too small. I didn't find that out until I was already on trail south of South America. And so without the ability to keep my hands warm, you know, the numbness will just creep further up that extremity as it gets even colder and redder and rainier. And so it just got really bad over Silver Pass. And it got to the point where, you know, I was stumbling and, that was so I'm lucky I could have that other part of my brain that kind of looks at myself from a distance, almost like I'm in a video game where I can be like, Ooh, that character screwed. I was fighting through it. I was very resilient to, to let it win. So like I was keep going, I was stumbling. I was, you know, I knew it was bad, but if I just kept going, if I could fight through another hour, I would be low enough where the temperature would be high enough to where the wind would be down and I would be fine. I could find somewhere to camp, set up, just keep going. And then I started thinking all of a sudden, like, hey, man, just sit down. Just sit down and rest for a minute, and then we can make it all the way. Just sit down and rest. Just sit down. And 
I've seen enough people die in movies and stuff to know that like if you're really cold and you're shivering and you're stumbling and then you just want to, what you want to do is just sit down and go to sleep and then never wake up. And so I kind of realized like, Hey, you're not, you're not making rational decisions anymore. Like that's not a, that's not a real thought. That's not in the playbook. You need to pull the plug and no more fighting. Stop now. Get set up. And luckily I was able to, um, it took a lot longer than normal because I couldn't use my hands. I couldn't use my fingers. So I was like rubbing the inside of my palms together, trying to get like my tent set up and get things pulled out. Yeah. I had the worst pitch ever, but I just crawled in and just shivered for well over an hour, just uncontrollably. Like my back was hurting. I was shivering so hard. Yeah. And I didn't know if I was going to make it. Honestly, like it was getting, it was getting really bad. I was, my eyes were closing. I was fighting it off. I was screaming to try to stay awake. I was just looking at my inReach, thinking like with this storm, I'm either going to push it and they find my dead body or I'm going to push it and I'm going to be fine. And the storm's going to be over by the, by, by the time they get here. So I'm not going to push it. I'm just going to sit here and just stare at it and look at my hands and just go over my life. It's like, how did I get myself here? Like, how stupid are you? And like, why? Why are you doing these ambitious things? You know, you just start questioning, like, because I, I mean, I didn't know. I've never been in a situation where I was, I was close to, I was close to not making it. And it was really scary. So it kind of just made me, I don't like cold anymore. I'm <laughs> Sure. But you still want to go through the Sierras in the early spring? Yeah, I went through. Uh, I went through this year with uh, with with Jeff. I, we did the drum year, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, it is what it is. It's you know, you either learn or you suffer again. And you know, I've just made some adjustments. I had things that were having an issue, like my Neo Air had a hole in it for like two thousand miles. And it would just go flat every night, like four times. I'd just wake up in the middle of the night and blow it up and then get like a good hour of sleep until it went flat again. Then I'd wake up and do it again. And so that was hard for me to stay warm for that, for that day. So it was like a bunch of little small things kind of added up where I had just neglected some things. Like I got to this point where I was like, I don't care if I'm suffering it would be way more work for me to get this Neo Air exchanged than, and time than it would be to just not sleep well for the next two months and just, I can get down to the hatch, go home, and then I can exchange it. Dumb plan, but it worked. Sort of. So, yeah, I mean, I made it. It was a good wake up call. It definitely knocked back any sort of, any sort of comfort zone I had on trail or like feeling of, it being just such an easy ride that you don't have to yeah. worry you about those respect. things. And at that point I was just like, I'm getting through. I don't care if it kills me. Like I'm so close to making it through the Sierra. And then once that was done, all the pressure was gone. All the anxiety was gone. I'm just like, I actually did it. Holy crap. I was so close to completing something that I thought was just some pie in the sky idea. And then I was like, two days away from doing it on my first trip ever. 
it was seeming really hard on the way north. I was I wore boots until bend. And so it was a lot easier once I realized that if every step isn't extreme pain with blisters, then the hiking is not that hard. <laughs> like you take away yeah. pain every single step and you're like, oh, this isn't that oh, bad. Okay. Yeah. The mental energy becomes easier. Yeah. Now, what were, I guess, some of the other, like, relating to the hypothermia, what were some of the other things that you would attribute it to? I was skinny as hell, yeah. I mean, I was I was really gaunt. So it was just a matter of I had no body fat. I, had no, I didn't have much lean, lean mass mm-hmm. to, to keep me warm. I was looking like, like, Christian McCandless and you know into the wild yeah. right before he goes. Yeah. Considering I also apparently look kind of like him, so apparently people were telling me that it was a little eerie. Yeah, it was. I was just really thin. Like you could see my cheekbones; everything was sticking out. It, it looked like I had been starving. So I, I just think lack of body mass mm-hmm. is a, a big one. Just the ability to keep yourself warm. Oh, the other small thing was I walked. You know. I forget what it was, it was like five miles or the wrong direction the, the day before. So I should have been over Silver Pass the night before, before the storm. That was my, that was my plan. But right by like Agnew Meadow, I think it is. There's like the trail is a full, like 90 de- or more than 90 degree turn. And I just had my head down, just full of some fresh chocolate milk and just blew right past it. And then I was like, Hey, I'm going North. And and I looked, I was like, you idiot. And I could have just kind of skirted back around the trail, but I was like, nah, I'll just make sure I get it all and I'll just go back. And so that just put me slightly behind schedule. Which puts you right in the way of the storm. Which put me a couple miles short. So I, the storm was hitting like as I was going over the next morning. So it was just like a bunch of those small things compounded onto each other and and just not... I was pretty burnt out at that point, to be honest. And just kind of just being like, whatever. Like, what's happening? Yeah, cool. Whatever. Like, yeah, it'll suck. It's fine. I'm just going from there. And then you stopped, you put up your tent, you pulled out your sleep, or I guess it was a quilt. How long did it take you to get warm? And, and did you do anything else, eat or anything like that as well, in order to try to get warm? Yeah, it took me it took me a long time to get warm, but I, it started to get out of the danger zone after I, I ate a little bit. Like I basically almost passed out. Like I was going to go into long term sleep. <laughs> I was trying to stay awake, and then my dream ended up being me trying to stay awake. So that that was really scary because, like, I, in my dream, I was like, "I'm doing a good job of staying awake," and then you like realize you're dreaming, and then something was like something in my head just started like yelling like no and I just woke up shivering on the side of my tent just, like shaking against the wall of my tent and I was just like what the f- like what the heck just what <laughs> like oh no like that's that's not good and so I kind of dug to my pack the best I could and I couldn't really manipulate like wrappers with my hands still so I just like pinned it between my the insides of my palms or like the, you know the pinky side of my palm and just 
just ripped practices open with my teeth and was just eating as much as I possibly could. And uh, once I ate like, I don't know, five bars or something like that, it, I started to started to feel my metabolism kick in more my my back starts to get warm really warm when when i eat so that was lucky that my metabolism is so fast that it instantly starts burning and yeah my body just puts off excess heat yeah i just it like my i get so hot it's incredible like when i eat that's why i'm so damn skinny it just it's like throwing pine needles into a fire (laughs) just burns like so hot and so instantly and then like three hours later i might starving again yeah so that's the downside um, of it yeah. So in this situation, it definitely helped to get warm. Um, once I got warm enough and I kind of like processed what, what, or started to process what had just happened and that I was okay. And I texted my, my, my brother on my inner reach and just said like, Hey, just want to let you know I'm in the storm, but I'm totally fine. Don't worry about it. Um, my brother apparently was thinking like, the fact that you said that meant that you probably were going through some shit. <laughs> so he read it correctly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I, then I decided to take a nap. Like I was exhausted. I was, my body was felt like tired from the inside out. Like, you know, that like deep sense mm-hmm. of tiredness where it's like, my mind's not even tired, but like my body is just, there's just a sense of tiredness in my chest. And like my whole core so i just laid there and took a nap and i woke up and i just did not want to move i was just like screw i'm not going out into that like i was just kind of like kind of frazzled to be honest with what had just happened and how close it was and so i sat there and said okay well you still got to get through this there's probably a way to figure this out we need to figure out a new tactic we need to adjust what we're doing to the conditions we have. Okay. Well, I don't have gloves. So getting up early, like I had been for light is out of the question because that's the coldest part of the day. I'm not going to get out of my tent if I can't use my hands. So I started saying, I will stay in my tent till the sun hits me and it's warm enough for me to get out and my hands aren't frozen to death. <laughs> and then I will just hike into the evening. As soon as the sun goes down, it's not the coldest time of the day still pretty warm i'll just hike you know those three four hours in the evening and then i'll set up camp and so i kind of adjusted my timetable for moving in the day to when the coldest part of the day was to accommodate for the fact that i did not like being cold anymore like i did not even like writing that line of being cold anymore it all comes like of saying that i i love is uh you know it's decisions not conditions every condition is safe every condition is unsafe depending on what on what you decide and what got me into trouble wasn't that storm it was the small little decisions that added up to the situation i was in so you can attribute things to like oh that was just a free like oh okay cool but like did, did you learn from it did you learn what you could have done maybe it was a freak situation but are you gonna take the responsibility for it on yourself and say you know, I made a bad decision and I need to make sure that that doesn't happen next time as opposed to saying like, oh, it was a freak storm. Right. It'll never happen again. Yeah. And so I was like, it was just, 
me learning like, okay, hey, you need to recalibrate your making sure you're good, making sure. So like this time I have like points in the trail will all have reminders set for myself to be like, hey, you need to do like a wellness check and like make sure you're caring about the small things that you need to care about. Like, you know, at a certain point you stop caring about if your feet are dirty or your feet hurt or if this is like, if this piece of gear is this issue or you just kind of like whatever. And at least for me, most, I think a lot of people actually fix their things. For me, I just kind of go, you know what? I'll just sleep on a flat pad for 2,000 miles. That sounds easier than fixing it. And uh, just to make sure that I'm doing those things and trying to learn from it. Like, if you don't learn from that mistake, then then you're really dumb. If I can take that and say, hey, you know, these are the mistakes I made. This is how I can avoid that next time. Then I can look at that situation not you know, positively as an experience as opposed to something that, you know, happened to me. Right. You're, you're learning from it. You're. Yeah. I mean, you have to, if you're trying to progress in anything or learn or get better and you definitely can't put responsibility onto anything else besides yourself. At least in my opinion, for me, that's how I work is putting more on pressure on myself is how I learn and get better and, deal with things as opposed to spreading it out or saying anything else. What was your quilt out there? Uh, Enlightened Equipment, Enigma 20 degree. And that was sufficient for keeping you warm? Yeah, I had uh, an X-Therm in the Sierra. Okay. So, and the X-Therm makes such a big difference. Like, can't even explain how much of a difference it makes. <laughs> like I, I'm down in with my 20 degree quill. I'm down in like 15 degrees, and I'm not worried. I'm not even dealing with it. My quilt's got a lot of miles on it, and I'm I'm using it for this whole thing too. And I've never even washed it, so. So it stood the test. Let's put a disclaimer out there, though. <laughs> like I, I wear, <laughs> I wear pants, a long sleeve shirt, and. uh in the summer, I wear dress socks to bed, and now I, or I wear sleeping socks mm-hmm. in the, the rest of the time of the year, so I don't get it as dirty as some people's clothes look disgusting. Well, I think anything that's out there that does those kind of miles is going to have show the yeah. miles, shall we say? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. But you know, it's it is it's a great quilt. I've, I've absolutely loved it. Yeah, I have the long version. Obviously, everything is built for somebody who's two inches shorter than me as the maximum height. So everything I own is the long or or like my tent, my plexamid. I just touch the ends. So that's just what it is. It is a burden you've had to carry your entire life. <laughs> yes, it really is. That and being a lefty. Okay. Like, oh, boy. It's the hardest totally one. Blessed. Yeah. I hear a lot of people talk about mountain lions and bears and rattlesnakes, you know, and some deer and, and things like that. Those are the, the standard kind of animals, big animals, whatever that, that you see. But you actually had experience or cross paths with a bobcat and a bighorn sheep. Yeah, that was the coolest experiences of the whole trip. Like, 
you know, that was two days after I had the hypothermia. I was having to night hike. So I went over like Mather Pass in the middle of the night because I was having to do two passes a day, but I couldn't start early enough to get it done during the daytime. I went over Mather in the day. And then on my way up to go over Glen, it was just about to get dark. And um, I was just about to approach Ray Lakes. So it was like right in between that period of like Woods Creek Bridge and like Ray Lakes. We were kind of like climbing up along that river going going south and uh something moved off to the side and i was like oh what the heck what's that, what's that over there and uh and it's a bunch of bighorn sheep and like after you know 10 11 years of being in the sierra never seen a bighorn sheep ever and then all of a sudden there they were and i was just like oh this is why i'm here <laughs> That was worth all the hypothermia in the world. <laughs> like just to see them there and to see them stop and turn to me. And those things are big. I mean, like I'm not afraid of bears, but I'm afraid of mountain goats. I'm afraid of bighorn sheep. I'm not afraid of mountain lions, but those animals, they turn and they look at you and you're just like, I can see your veins like coming out of your neck. <laughs> you are so muscular and big. And their heads are made for battering. <laughs> yeah. They're, they just run right at you and just, they don't, they don't bite you. They just stick their head down and just, push you off a cliff yep so i do was they were so beautiful and it was such a cool sight to see especially a whole like little herd of them and to watch them scramble up some of the granite was really cool and then the bobcat bobcat was awesome i mean i had been following tracks out there in that area a lot like a lot of bear tracks a lot of mountain lion tracks and then what I thought was just like a small mountain lion. And I was just walking. I had some really bad back issues at that point. I slept in a car in Kenny Meadows after drinking too much and messing my back. And <laughs> after I was celebrating the fact that I didn't die. Um, <laughs> and I was having a terrible day. And then, like, oh, look at this. And I come around the corner and I'm like, damn. Like from behind, I was like, that rabbit's running weird. It kind of just looked like a rabbit with its short little tail and I couldn't see its head or anything. And it just turned and looked at me and I was like, I just froze and I was just like, yes, that thing is awesome. And then it just ran straight off through like a bunch of poodle dog bush. And I was like, no, don't, you don't need to run. Don't go that direction. Don't go that direction. No, not in the poodle dog. <laughs> yeah. that was, that was great. I mean, I knew I, I knew that this was, this kind of thing was for me is when you're having those really rough days and you just see if you can find the little moments of the day where it makes everything worth it. Those little moments for me made it all so worth it. Like a bobcat out in the wild in the middle of the, like the high desert area. Can't, for me, you can't beat that. That's like being in your own personal planet Earth especially being that remote and that few people around at that time for me, I wasn't really seeing many people. So it was just you and the animals. Yeah. It was better to talk to them than the squirrels. Squirrels, don't, squirrels are boring. Squirrels just so, yell at you. Yeah. And marmots just stare at you. The bobcat at least like acknowledged my existence and then ran away. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I do still exist. Okay. <laughs> it's sort of like the existential question. If a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, did it make a sound? 
Yeah. I mean, heck, that's a good way of putting when I was talking about suffering earlier. Yeah. Of like, if there's nobody else around, does it, does it, does, it, does my crying really make a noise? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the animal experiences were great. I didn't really have any bear issues, like not at camp or anything. Pretty much every time you see a bear on the PCT, the bears are running away. I think of bears as like big raccoons in California. <laughs> but less vicious. Like the ra- raccoons are pretty baldy. Every time a bear hears someone, they just seem to just go, ah, and then run away. So I'm not worried about them. And mountain lions are scary. I saw some mountain lions in the desert at night when we were night hiking. And they just stare at you like they're, they're just like talking crap. <laughs> like they're just like, ah, oh, you look so easy. <laughs> like, and I always try to remind them, you know, you're supposed to like talk to bears or like say a nice soothing voice when you talk. And I just remind bears that I don't have any muscle. Right. I don't you, have you any fat. Be a good snack. I'm just bones and tendons and ligaments at this point. You guys are not going to have a good meal. Just want to put that out there, bear. Like, there's nothing here for you. Just move along. So, yeah. You know how weird you get when you're out there. You start talking to animals. Yep. Just to have conversations. How was your experiences with, like, Trail Angels, Trail uh, Magic out there? Like, I think it's Trail Magic is different things um, in terms of, like, someone just leaving a cooler out there with some beer or, like, a soda. You know, it's Trail Magic, but it's not the Trail Magic experience. It's just, like, a cooler of, of like, a drink in the woods. Um, trail magic like everybody else had like where there's somebody there mm-hmm. running the trail magic that brought things and there's some fresh things and you know I didn't have that experience until south of Snoqualmie on the way south wow so the whole way north I, I mean I was just too early Why no, people wouldn't be out there if they were trying to actually get numbers or to like guarantee that somebody would be walking by you wouldn't be necessarily up where I was. So that's just until I started going south where I was running into a bunch of the Novos, then I was kind of like in that window for like two weeks where I could have some trail magic. But yeah, I only had one the whole time. One like on trail trail magic where people had like a table set up and chairs and you know, there were people there, other hikers there. Besides that, it was, just walking. I, I liked it like that, though, to be honest. It seems more like a challenge. I don't know. I've, you like the suffering. I just... I mean, the water catches are already there to make it easier for us. I really don't think we need that much more, you know, things making it easy for us. Water catches, fantastic. That is great. But... Beyond that, I mean, I went and did traumatic this year, so I can't really say anything. Um, but, like, I don't consider, like, bringing a 30-pack and making quesadillas with twerk at, like, Casa de Luna <laughs> as, like, you know, crazy traumatic compared to how some people do where, like, they follow groups or... Yeah. Again, to, to each their own, just for me, like, it feels more of, like, a wilderness experience when you're kind of not getting that. But I guess I've never really had it, so I don't know. I can't really. We'll, we'll see what happens this side. year. Again, I'll be ahead of everything. I think Sobo, CDT, but 
But at some point you won't. I mean, some point you're going to be crossing other people. Yeah, but that'll be probably Sobo CDT. Just because again, I'll be, I'll be North. I'll be going through the PCT the same time I did in 2018. Ah, right. So I'll be ahead of the game and then I won't hit it until South of big bear. So if there's anybody in the first couple hundred miles that are setting up for the early starters, I won't see them. Which, I mean, to me, it's not even a big deal. Like, I just, I, I don't even plan as if there's going to be anything like that. I love a good beer at, a, at like, a trailhead, though, or, like, a or at like a, a road. That's, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. <laughs> but beyond that, it's, like, I'm out there for the challenge. Honestly, by the time I get to PCT, I might want it after I have, like, a 45-mile and then a 75-mile water carry back-to-back to get back to the BCP. So I'll probably want trail magic and change my tune completely by then. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> You'll have a newfound appreciation. This, yeah. Who knows where this evolution will go. <laughs> in, in your posts, you had this quote that I absolutely love, but I was wondering what it meant for you. And the quote was, I know where I'm going, but I don't know where the trail will take me. Yeah. Physically, I know where I'm going. Like, I know where my body is going, what I have to do. But I don't know where the trail will take me as a person and what, what that will do to me. What, what, the, what the trail will do to me as a person, I have no idea what's, what's ahead. But I know that I will end up completing this. I don't know if it's going to be a good thing. I don't know if I will have really like genuinely suffered for a long time to have to the point where I go like I did it I said I was going to and I'm never doing this again that was always my thing is like I will finish it it just depends if I hate it or not by the end (laughs) depends if I'm going to do it again so to me it was I at that point I was I kind of like you know coaching soccer most families are absolutely amazing and I love being part of their lives and it's great but there's always a couple in high level youth sports that are people that are crazy and mean and they try to go after you. They try to get you fired. They try to smear your name. They try to just because maybe, you know, you genuinely rightly so have their kid on a different team or something like that. And a lot of these people are in like high level in their jobs, like CEOs and stuff mm-hmm. and doctors and lawyers and, you know, people that are used to being, being able to push people around and you get enough of, you know, emails being, that were sent to somebody else that they sent to you then. And it's just trashing you and tearing you down. And you just eventually, you just kind of lose faith in people and you build build walls. And I wanted to get out there and remind myself that it's that minority that's doing that. Most people are good. Even if you don't agree with most people, they're genuinely just good people with different views and, don't look at the world so cynically as, you know, I think a lot of people have moved that direction in the last couple of years, you know, rightly so, but in terms of encompassing their life and letting them, pulling them away from actually making this like real, real change within their, within their community. So I wanted to get out there and restart myself, push, and then come back and, I had a great year coaching again. It was 
I'm actually really sad to leave all the little kids behind. You know, I don't do anything besides train now. So my best friends are eight years old. <laughs> they have a different perspective on things. Yeah. And, you know, when you have been telling little kids that they need to fight through things and things are hard and you need to keep going and stay focused and don't give in and be resilient. At a certain point, you start realizing, like, am I full of shit? Like, right. is, is that, can I still do that? Like, I know I used to be able to do that, but have I gotten soft since I became an adult? So I kind of wanted to go out there and, you know, prove to all these little kids, because they all follow my stuff, too. Like, all their parents do, and they show it to them. It's like, all these kids are, are watching my trip, too, and... So I'm always thinking, like, I can't let them down. What kind of coach would you be? Or if, I don't know. A lot, of, a lot of people quit things and they make ex- excuses why. And it's okay. And I'm like, it's all good for you. But for me, that's not how I work. I don't, you can't say, like, if you said you're going to do something, you should do it. The only thing I should stop you is, like, medical emergency. For Does me, knowing again. that they're paying attention and following your journey help you at all push through because you've been giving them this message about resilience and facing the tough stuff and, and doing it anyway and all of that stuff. And does that help you knowing that they're following and that you're yeah, basically when I have, becoming the example of that? Yeah, definitely. Cause it's like, if I start to feel like I'm having a weak moment, I just like loser, like but you can do quit. <laughs> like, and so you're kind to yourself is what you're saying. <laughs> no, not at all. But also because I know how, how I react. Like right. as a coach, you understand like some kids, you can kick them in the butt and they react positively. And then there's some kids that you need to put your arm around and say, Hey buddy, it's okay. Like, don't worry about this. And then that gets the best out of them. And to get the best out of myself, I need to challenge myself and question my own strengths. And say, well, maybe you aren't strong enough. Maybe you don't deserve to do the yo-yo. And then that would kind of kick me into gears. And it's like, screw you. And then I'm like, oh, I'm talking to myself again in the woods. This is great. Um, <laughs> and you come full circle. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, I'm, it's, it's a big motivator for me to know that the kids are watching. Not because, but because if I'm suffering, like, like I said, the and before, like they don't know. So I just, I just get through it. They're, they're, they're not going to, if I do quit and say insight, why they're not going to understand the full depth or anybody off trail of how hard those things really were. Very so, true. so their perception of it, which, I mean, I don't really care about other, other people think, but it's a good tool to use for motivation. for me Because that's a good tool that I could use to motivate myself. Or I think of it, I don't know how I played Mario Kart growing up as a kid. And when you're doing time trials, there's a little ghost that you race against, which is like your previous fastest time. And so I would just imagine every day that there was a three mile per hour ghost that was going to walk 35 miles. And he wouldn't stop for breaks. He would just literally just walk at that pace all day. And I had to just beat that every day. I had to be there at the same time. So if I wanted to take a break, I'd have to walk faster than three miles an hour to earn my break time. And just 
playing these little mind games of how to motivate yourself is really key. I think of finding out how to push your buttons to get the best out of you and not push somebody else's buttons on yourself that won't get that same result. Cause everyone, everyone's so different. <laughs> oh, totally. But in you talking yeah. about this, I can totally hear, or I can totally picture, I should say, how you used to train when you were competing with soccer and that kind of stuff. Cause I, I can see the, the things that you would use on yourself again, when you were younger in mm-hmm. order to train that for that specifically. Cause like, you know, I was, I was a defender. Like I was, I wasn't the most technically gifted. I wasn't very creative, but what I was and a couple of guys on my team were that really made it actually click were we were the people that gave 100% to everything we always did. And we put our bodies on the line. Like, you know, I've broken my nose seven times. I've had so many injuries and just, you know, blocking shots in my face and just like, just doing whatever it took, put yourself on the line for the team, like the sacrifice for the team. What? Cause, cause that's what I'm, my strength is that kid's strength over there is, you know, flair and skill and going down easier when someone hits them. My skill is, being resilient and the other team is getting frustrated because I'll do anything to, to win. You just keep coming back. Yeah. And so like I had to give 100% in everything always to, to keep up with the people that had more, you know, natural talent. So that really showed me like, it really comes down to work rate. It really comes down to your dedication to something. You might not always be naturally the most gifted but eventually you will rise to the top as people with more talent don't put in the correct amount of effort or work. Yeah. Yep. And sticking that through as a long-term goal. And that's kind of how I view this. Like I don't for, you know, doing what I did and I joke around sometimes about, you know, Oh, I did the yo-yo, but I still just view myself as, you know, a normal person that is, nowhere near one of the best at at any of this long distance stuff. But what could get me there is being more resilient, doing things other people don't want to do. Like most people who do the yo-yo, they never go through the snow. They wait. They wait until May to start, like mid-May to start. I wasn't afraid of that. Like I wanted that. If I could do the snow, I could do the yo-yo. So like that was my, my first step. Like if I could get through the Sierra, then the yo-yo is on because the rest of it will be easier. So I knew my thing would be perseverance, not necessarily blazing speed. You had to know what your superpower was. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I guess it's just suffering (laughs) or being resilient. Well, yeah, I really do. I do with a smile on my face too, where I go, man, like, I say it's suffering, but like I have a good view on it of like when something's really bad, you go like, I just always think this is crazy. Like this, and I, I laugh and I go like, this is insane. Look what I'm doing right now. You're so crazy. Like instead of being like, this is miserable. I go, Jesus, like 40 mile an hour wind and hail is just what a situation I got myself into. As opposed to like, this is, this is crappy or. I don't know. Some people on trail get really down themselves and they usually end up not making it because they can't turn those negative situations into 
something to laugh at or something to just go, whoa, this is going to be a good story. Because you're going to have those. I mean, oh, absolutely. You're going to have them. You're going to have them before you even get to Candy Meadows. <laughs> you could have them be- within 48 hours of being on the trail. <laughs> sure. I guess, I guess people could, yeah. <laughs> but, but like the things, like beside, beyond the, beyond the physical aspect of like, mm-hmm. you know, once you get up to like, Hatchapi, and then all of a sudden you have like four days of just deafening wind, and that's the thing where you know you understand desert people after that. You understand why they're so like messy, where you're just like, you know, you just feel brain dead after like four days of wind. Nobody talks. Everyone's just like zombies, and you start thinking, no, you know, meth sounds good right now. You know, meth sounds pretty good. And you're like, oh, now I get it. Now I get why all these people are crazy out here. Their brains are fried from heat and wind. I mean, you live in you live in LA, so you know about those yeah. desert folks. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but I, but I can totally see where you're coming from with that, and and how it would do it because just the relentlessness of it. Yeah, it's just it's just endless out there of just wind and wind and wind and it's either freezing or it's hot and yeah i mean i couldn't do it i definitely couldn't do it there's about two months a year out there where it's absolutely gorgeous <laughs> the only problem is this, this calendar is 12 months long yeah exactly <laughs> if only yeah is there anything that we haven't talked about that we should um, not sure. I've enjoyed the conversation, so I don't know. I think it's gone great. <laughs> I'm just kind of looking through my list here and seeing if there is anything yeah. really that I that I had, but I think we've kind of hit on pretty much everything that that I had, uh, notes wise. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I don't think so. I think cool. I really can't think of anything. Thank you. I mean, you were you had a lot of good stuff. <laughs> I got a here. lot of good stories. Yeah. <laughs> so where can people find you to follow the continuing adventures as you work on the greater Western Loop or the greatest Western Loop? Trail? <laughs> I love it. You said that. Uh, just my name on Instagram, John Schwartz, J-O-N-S-C-H-W-A-R-Z-E. So all one word. Um, yeah, it's just you know, I when I, before I started the OYO, I had like my mom's friends and like some high school friends as like my social media friends. So it was just my name. And then once I realized everybody else had something hyped, I was like, well, that seems kind of played out already. So <laughs> that's just cliche. Yeah, I was like, I, I mean, every if you look at my profile, you know, I'm walking. <laughs> yeah. So. I just left it as my name because it is what it is. And I'm just Perfect. a regular guy who just gets years off and walks far. Just walks. Does yeah. a couple miles. It's just walking. I am running. Like, I don't know if, I don't know. I like, I really support superior wilderness designs, backpacks, just because having everything so custom has been like the best thing for me. I'm like crazy about my organization of things. Mm-hmm. Is that so, what your backpack is? Superior Wilderness? Yeah, that and my fanny pack. So 
So I like designed, I designed a fanny pack and they, they made it. And oh, perfect. Everybody, everybody always asks where they can get one. And I'm like, you have to just ask them for like the one that I have because <laughs> they don't actually sell the fanny pack. Because they have the, the design and you could just call yeah. it the John Swartz. Yeah. So like they don't, <laughs> they don't really make fanny packs. I was like, Hey, I just, here's something I draw. I, I drew up and they were like, ah, yeah, we can try. And then it came and it was probably my favorite piece of gear I have like by far just as it keeps everything so organized. That's, that is actually really good to know. I'm going to have to look that up. Um, I need to, yeah. I need to prep. <laughs> I need to buy shop. And shop you're on, job. you're on, you're on trail this year, correct? Uh, yeah. April 4th. Ooh. So it's coming fast. It's like a freight train coming. Yeah. It comes so fast. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> it's, and then all of a sudden it's there and you're like, Oh wait, I need to do this, this and this. Oh yeah. And I know then, I'm going to be that way. That's the way I pack in general. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I leave tomorrow morning and like uh, my, my living room is just filled with like 10 totes. Cause I have to like move my whole life into the garage. <laughs> and, oh man. And leave everything organized for my parents. So like I need a replacement for gear or I have like extra fill. I have like an extra of like everything that I'm mm-hmm. going to need. Cause at some point I'll use it. No, nothing will go to waste because this is like all I do. So like having to make sure everything's labeled and ready to go. And, you know, my mom just re-sewed on the bottom half of my, my, my wind pants because they ripped. <laughs> so just like getting all these things together is so overwhelming. And then, you know, there's 10 things I'm going to forget and I'll have to do in the car tomorrow on the drive for work or something. Oh, I'm sure. I was gonna say, I do appreciate you uh, taking, taking some precious moments out of your, of your last minute uh, packing to, yeah, to talk. Of I mean, yeah, I mean, I would, there's one thing anyone who's ever done a lot of through likes to do is, is talk about that through <laughs> <laughs> that, that should so, be like the new motto. Please ask me about my through hike. Yeah. It's like any of the memes of like nobody and it's just blank. And then it's like, so on PCT, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, n- n- nobody asked, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you because I don't like any other thing now. So when you talk about your thing, I'm just going to talk about trail because I'm not interested in bars in LA or anything else. Sounds like a good trade off. Yeah. yeah. I- I'm always amazed when I talk to people how small the community is. I mean, even though there are thousands and thousands of people who have through hiked and who through hike every year and, or section hike or whatever, it's still really small. Like I know in talking to you and in looking on your Instagram and stuff like that, you know, uh, you know, Nick, who I've already talked to, you know, twerk who I've already talked to. It's just, (laughs) it's such a small group. Yeah. I met, I met, uh, Nick Johnson, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I met I met him in 2017 when I was hiking. He was one of the guys that was there when I got my trail name. Oh, he was, and, he was uh, one of the 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 bystanders. Uh he didn't actually see it because oh. um I don't know what he did. He he stayed up there longer or something like that. I was feeling bad so I, I went down, but Yeah, I'm like I went and did some stuff in Death Valley with Lanny um or Lonnie, sorry. Um, and so like, yeah, 
it's crazy how small the community is. It's really small. Like I've just met so many people that I never would have met. Like all my, my friends I communicate most with don't even live anywhere near where I live now. They're just trail people from somewhere else. It's great. It gives you an excuse to travel places now. I do love those excuses. Yeah. I went to, I went to Denver and just someone was like, Hey, I met you last year. And I was like, cool. I don't remember that, but you seem pretty cool. And they're like, cool. You want to, you want to just stay at my house for four days? And I'm like, sure. All right. Well, I'll take care of the hotel. Um, <laughs> and this is like the trail community is so awesome. I've had people over at my parents' house like five times this year, random people I've met from trail that, uh, like giggles, uh, Danielle, she, she was in town for some work thing around Ventura. And I was like, Hey, well, you can stay at my parents' house. And, you know, people, Jeff finished a couple of his long trails and just come here and hung out with my parents for a couple for like two weeks. My parents love him more than more than me. So you weren't there for this. He was just, it was just he and his, your parents. No. So like I was here, but like I would have to go to work and then I would like come home and he'd be like watching like British crime shows with my parents up on the couch. (laughs) And like, they're like, they're talking about the different plot twists and like they're full on into it. Like, like they're best friends forever. And, uh, and it's hilarious because just just the wandering homeless man who just mm-hmm. does amazing things. And yeah. so my parents are just like, that Jeff guy is really something. I'm like, yeah, he is. Like, is he really doing all that? I'm like, yeah, he's really doing all that. And the community is just it's getting bigger and bigger, but it doesn't seem like it. It's like living in a small town or a small village where everybody knows each other and or there's maybe two degrees of separation somehow. Yeah, definitely. Because a lot of people like, and honestly, Instagram is huge for that. I'm yeah. just like, I'll just follow somebody because I just, I just want to see that journey a couple weeks ahead of where I'm going or, or follow people along the way. And then, you know, you end up talking to them and do like that. And then you're like, hey, I'm in this area. And you end up actually meeting in person. And you're like, oh, hey. Yeah, like I know these four of your good friends and those are my friends too. So why don't we just be friends and go hike this mountain? And then you do. (laughs) It's so, it's so funny that you put it that way. It's, it sounds so simple, but it also sounds like, like two, five year olds. Hey, I like, I like toy trucks and you like toy trucks. Let's just go play with toy trucks. Yeah. It's it's exactly what what it is. It's just so rudimentary of just, it's like, hey, you like to walk? Cool. We like to both not talk that much while we walk, too. That's a good expectation. Cool. Let's go for a hike together, but apart. Like, <laughs> Perfect. Because when you go with people that aren't through hikers, they're like, they want to walk side by side and talk the whole time. And I'm like, that is not what I am here for. Like, yeah. we can chat at the beginning, but like, there's some point where it's like, I just want to kind of do my little like walking meditation thing where. I'm just in my own head and we're climbing this 14,000 foot mountain. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm barely breathing here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's the expectations that we just know and you don't have to worry about it. If I go with my normal friends, I have to like worry about where, how much food they're carrying. Do they even know what they're doing? You go out there and you're just like, you would, you know what you're doing. I and mean, if you don't, you're not going to say anything. You're just going to get through it. It's the perfect alone, but together sport. 
That's perfect. You're like, hey, I don't talk to me until we get to that lunch spot, and then we'll sit there and have a great conversation and laugh, and then don't talk to me again. And then we're off again. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I'm going to let you get on with your evening because I know you've got quite a bit of stuff you probably still need to accomplish before you get in the car tomorrow. Definitely. <laughs> but, uh, you just yeah, no worries. It, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I'm always like this. It's, it's all staged out. It just all needs to get put away. Yeah. And, and then there's the last minute. It's like, all right, you can't procrastinate anymore. You can't do this anymore. It's time to just get it together. It's like I have to get my all my gear together. I don't even know where all my gear is. I'm going to really not, have fun watching your Instagram and see how it all comes together in those last couple of uh, days. You have no idea how terrible the PPG section went. I forgot my filter. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to just water carry every single section in between towns of water caches. So I had like 40-mile water carries for like a normal thing. I was having to melt snow by putting it like water bottles against my like stomach while I was hiking. And I was like, okay, this is a good refresher on get your crap together, idiot. Like, don't forget the small things. And here we are again, and you're going to have fun today. I have, I have a filter. That is the first thing I got put in there. <laughs> <laughs> and tick, tick spray. Like I, oh, I got yeah, this, were... but then I started thinking I got a really bad tick bite on that on this last section. But I was just thinking of like, why are there so many ticks right now? But then I was thinking, oh well, it's probably because there's nobody out here, so there's no one that's getting them on themselves. So every tick that would be spread out over like 20 people normally is all on me because there's nobody else out here. It's all about you, John. Yeah, I was in snow and ticks. It was really pissing me off. That sounds kind of nasty, actually. Yeah, it was, it was terrible. But beautiful. <laughs> it's a terrible, beautiful, crazy kind of world. Yeah. All right, well, I'm going to book a hotel room right now for Jeff and I tomorrow, and then get back to back and... Show notes and links for John's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to John for sharing his stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. If you have three hiking adventures to share, I would love to hear them. Please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. I'll see you on the trail. <laughs>